You're listening to the Talking Rheumatology podcast, brought to you by the British Society for Rheumatology. Hello and welcome to another episode of Talking Rheumatology. I'm Sarah Gallagher, Project Manager of the National Early Inflammatory Arthritis Audit here at the British Society for Rheumatology. In this episode, I'll be speaking with Dr. Liz Price, who is our audit clinical lead, and Professor James Galloway, who is the audit's lead methodologist. Welcome both. Um, Starting with Liz, would you be able to introduce yourself for us? Hi, I'm Liz Price. I'm a consultant rheumatologist at the Great Western Hospital in Swindon. Um, And in addition to that, um, I'm the Southwest Musculoskeletal MSK lead um, regionally. But more importantly, um, I'm the clinical lead for the National um, Early Inflammatory Arthritis Audit and have been since about May this year, having taken over from Joe Leddingham, who you all know and love very well. And James? Hi, I'm James Galloway. So I'm a rheumatologist based at King's College Hospital in London and also a researcher, and I'm the methodology lead for for the audit. Liz, could you give us an overview of what data this report covers? Okay, so this is the fifth year of the audit. It's staggering to think it's been running for five years now. And this covers April 22 to March 2023. And that's significant because this is really our first post-COVID proper full year, I think, that hopefully won't have been affected by the COVID um, pandemic. As you know, we started back in 20, sorry, 2018. We had two years pre-pandemic, then the pandemic, and we've now had two full years post. And James, um, I want to talk through the key findings of the report that were co-produced with our um, project working group and our patient panel um, with the data from the five years. Can you tell me what the most significant findings were from the report? Yes. So I, I mean, I think one of the first things to say, we have, as everyone is very aware, been through a pandemic of an emotional portion. And this year, we have seen the audit recruitment numbers back on a level that we had been seeing pre-pandemic. And, and that is fantastic that we're getting enough data to really get granular, granular information about services. There is no doubt things have been impacted by the pandemic. And, and actually, if you look at, for example, how long people are waiting to get onto treatment, we not only see that there is substantial variation around the country, um, but that we have still not seen re- return to the performance we were achieving in, in the, the year prior to the pandemic. And so we, we've got now a map of what the services are like and where we need to be moving back to to try and recover those services. But if I pick up on, on one other thing that I, I think, because there's a lot of information in the report with really relevant information about how we're delivering services. But one thing that I think stands out is when you look at the patient reported outcomes. We know we we collect patient reported outcomes on about a third of the people who are enrolled into the audit who then do return that information. But the impact is enormous. And and in particular, for example, if you look at proportion of people who are describing significant mental health comorbidity is over 60 percent at their first visit. And I think that really highlights the disease impact of of the musculoskeletal presentations in, in rheumatology services. Was there anything else that stood out to you? So I think there's there's always things that that stand out, and one one thing I, I perhaps would would pick upon if you look at the variation around the regions, um, and, and you were to look at how long people wait from the time they referred to the time they start on treatment, 
Um, we, we give an average performance, but we know that in some parts of the country, um, it's almost 60% of people are not seen and treated within the recommended timeline set out by NICE. Whereas in other parts of the, the, the country, we see almost 80% are achieving that target. And that just that gradient between the different parts of the country and how quickly people are started on treatment, I think is a very striking observation. And have these um, findings evolved over time or how have they evolved over time? So I think we've we've seen variation every year that um, that the audit has run, and but we and we see that the variation does change. We see that units, and and we know that units that we see who are performing less well, perhaps units that are identified as outliers, we work with them so that people who are in an outlier group often move out of the outlier status as they come into the next year. So they're able to help people change and improve services. And there's always a degree of natural fluctuation in performance. Although my sense is that those changes have been much more dramatic in the post-pandemic period and in terms of how the pandemic has hit certain services around the country. We also are very aware at the moment that there are all sorts of other competing factors with staff vacancies, industrial action, um, which I'm sure is having a knock-on effect on our services. Liz, can I just come to you because I know you've recently been making calls through to different services who have been identified as outliers. Um, and can you just give us a little bit of an overview of some of the trends you're seeing when speaking to services? Yeah, absolutely. So so I decided that, that it was going to be a good thing to do this because I we were an outlier ourselves at one point. So early on in the course of the audit, we were identified as an outlier. And I know how distressing that feels in that how you feel as a, you failed as a, as a department and, and you know you, you feel um, under scrutiny and also when we were in, um, told we were an outlier the first we knew about it was a sort of letter to the managers rather than being contacted personally so I decided to look out for the patients for the um, departments that were outliers and contact them and actually it's been a really positive experience because what I think I've picked up is that people are really keen to engage with the audit. The majority of departments really want to do a great job for their patients. Um, and, you know, talking through the difficulties they've had, it's become very apparent that a lot of services are really struggling post-pandemic. They're struggling with increasing patient demand and expectation. They're struggling with lack of workforce. And it's not just consultants, it's lack of nurses, it's lack of support workers, it's lack of admin support. But also, I think there are lessons that we can all learn because what we found when we were failing was that actually when we looked at our performance and why we were failing, it wasn't all down to resource. It was down to the way we organised our service. So we changed the way we think we did things. We looked at the processes involved and we managed to pull back quite a lot of performance just by changing things like triage and the order that things were done in. And the other key thing with all of this is you really, really have to protect these early arthritis slots. These patients have to be treated differently, if you like, from the for, from the run of the mill referrals because they can't just go in a pot when your wait, waiting list is up to six months, nine months and so forth. You've got to target the individuals who to whom we know we can make a difference. And actually, there were lots of lessons I think I learned from talking to other departments and hopefully able to share knowledge and share tips and so forth. And I do think it's something that we should offer ongoing. And I'd be very happy to talk to departments that haven't been contacted yet if they feel that there's anything they can be gained from that. Thank you, Liz. That's really great insight from you. And just to echo what you said there at the end, as an audit team, we are here to help. And I would encourage services that are struggling with engagement to reach out to us. How can individuals stay informed and engage with the data from the audit, Liz? 
So I think the first thing is understanding your own data. Data is very powerful. Um, it's your data and it's important you understand that and in fact take control. So, so certainly locally in our department we input our own data because we feel that's the best way to ensure the quality of the data and we have confidence then in the data that's being put in. Once you understand the right data is going in, you're then able to manipulate it. And we can certainly use the, the reporting mechanisms within the NEIA audit website. So you can you can produce charts, you can produce reports, you can look at your own performance and you can compare it against your the national averages. So you can see where you are and what how well you're doing. And actually that, that does introduce a little bit kind of then, well, let's see if we can do better than the average. Let's see if we can pull our, our performance up that so we can make ourselves better see patients within a shorter time than other units. And that's really valuable, I think. Um, and the quality of the data in, in this audit is potentially really high because it is coming from clinicians on the ground and it is a confirmed diagnosis. Now, we have changed slightly, as you know, since April. So, so now we're only putting in the confirmed diagnosis. Um, and a question for both of you. How can listeners contribute to positive change based on the report's findings? So I think there's there's an enormous number of things that people can do to influence change in their department. One thing that Liz has just highlighted this, that, that often a lot of the things that need to change in departments are not complex and it's not about reinventing the wheel, but it's often simple steps. And the BSR website has got loads of resources to help people on that journey. And I also think that it, it can be quite a powerful tool to take to your management team. So, so we used it, for instance, to wrestle control of triage because what we found was that there was a, when we looked at the process that patients were going to, to get into an early arthritis clinic slot, they were being triaged elsewhere and, and that added delays quite a significant delay. So what we did is we said, we want to do the triage, personally do the triage, so we can identify these patients early, pull them out of the mainstream and put them into these slots. And then the other key thing is, is really protecting clinic slots. And that is phenomenally difficult to do unless you've got powerful data like the early arthritis data to convince the management structures because their natural tendency is to pull the longest waiters into the empty slots. And actually, what we know is that if we get these patients with early arthritis early, we can influence the outcomes and improve their long-term outcomes. There are patients who can wait. There are patients with osteoarthritis where we've got no whizzy treatments. We're not going to make a big difference to the outcome. So they can wait for their diagnosis on a waiting list. But these patients can't wait because they are accruing potential harm if they wait. Thank you both so much for your time today. It was great to hear directly from you about some of the key messages from this most recent report. And thank you to those listening. Just a reminder that we have a great number of resources on the NEAR platform where you can find out more about the audit and the recently updated criteria for recruitment. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Talking Rheumatology, brought to you by BSR. Please do rate, share and subscribe through your favourite podcast app.